0: This week on Dig Me Out.
1: With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi
2: Jay, this week we're back with another one of our patron-selected album reviews, and the person joining us has joined us a couple times, and uh, they were both last year. Jay, we're welcoming back Chris March to the show. Welcome back, Chris.
1: Hey, Chris.
2: Hey guys, how you doing? Good. Not bad.
1: Yeah. Holding, hanging in there. Sweating. How
2: hot is exactly. it in Texas, Jay? Yeah, for having me again. Yeah. Oh,
1: well, it got cool. It cooled down. So it's 101 today. It was on 113 on Monday. So we're all good. Holy
2: Jesus.
1: And guess what? I am go- guess where I'm going for on vacation next week.
2: It's farther into oh. Texas.
1: Las, Las Vegas.
2: Oh, my
0: God. Oh,
2: man. So
1: literally, I just, I just can't get enough heat.
2: Yeah literally it's it's sometimes it's so hot in Vegas that if you're walking on the black uh near the black top you, if you have rubber sole shoes on they will actually start melting and sticking to the surface of the black top you so what i'm saying is it. use uber or lyft yeah even if you're just going one casino down have right. them have them meet you at the uh the drive through covered
1: oh trust pickup. me i i i've learned my lesson living here uh Because you go out and be like, okay, I can deal with this, it's not a big deal. But it just you don't even realize it. It's just killing you. Like an hour later, you're you're near, you know, you're ready, you're getting faint and like you don't even realize what's going on. So humans
2: were not meant to live in that temperature. Yeah. (laughs) It's only because of air conditioning. So Chris joined us previously for two episodes last year, back in December when we did our Kiss in the 90s episode. The very Popular episodes. It's uh one of our most downloaded episodes because you know the Kiss Army is strong. They 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 come and check out anything Kiss related.
0: Yeah, it's it's surprising you see how many different Kiss podcasts there are out there, and you think, oh, yeah, there's so many, so many of them out there. People get tired of it, but yeah, I'm sure.
1: No. Just- <laughs> nope. No, 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 no. I, I honestly, I just listened to one before we even started. <laughs> Just to prep. That's what I did when I got home from work. I put on a kiss podcast. You're crazy.
2: Uh, And then also joined us back in uh, February of last year for the Brainiac episode, which was uh, and actually that was a a key episode in the evolution of Dig Me Out. I don't know if you know this, Chris, but your suggestion uh, ended up uh, interesting Eli Janney from Girls Against Boys, and he actually reached out to us because of that episode and uh was like hey i love brainiac and we're like cool come on the show so thanks for that
1: making things happen over here yeah
2: we owe you a uh some sort of a kickback for that i don't know what that would be but uh a referral fee of some sort for uh for getting eli Janney to join us not once but twice actually because he came out of the round table for new york city yeah so the album that we're going to be talking about, which was Chris's selection for his 12-month pick, was what, Chris? Introduce it.
0: Oh, uh, Sure. Uh, I'd selected uh, an album I'm uh, very familiar with, uh, Tin Cans with Strings to You by the uh, Sacramento band F.A.R. I think it came out in was it 95 or 96, somewhere around there. But- 96, yep. But, uh 96 okay yeah because i'm thinking yeah that's the first time i saw far so i knew it was somewhere in the middle of the 90s right there and i just uh i saw that it came up as a possible fan vote and i figured why not i'm so i've listened hundreds if not thousands of times and i'm so familiar with it that i figured i'd just use it as my my 12-year pick
1: so did you have pick. did you have something else uh ready to go and this jumped ahead of it in line
0: no, I've, I always debate a few different things. Uh, I mean, there's there's a couple ideas I've floated around, but I don't want to give those away. Those are surprises. Ah, for, yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay.
2: So uh, just a brief history. You mentioned they were for Sacramento, California, formed in 1991, broke up in 99, and then reformed again in 2008 for a couple more years, and then they broke up again. First release was Listening Game in 1992, Quick in 1994, and then the album we're checking out, Tin Cans with Strings to You in 1996, Water and Solutions in 1998, Then they broke up, and then in 2010 they put out At Night We Live, and then apparently broke up again. And they also have a couple of, they have an EP out called Soon in 1997, and then uh, some Seven Inches here and there with uh, a couple different bands and uh the lead singer jonah Matranga has played in a couple different bands one line drawing he was in a ba- was a band that he was in or or that was his band and then new end original um and then a band called uh gratitude basically he's a very busy guy you can go to his like website and then his band camp page he's got a lot of different Recordings up there and the other members of the band also went in to do went on to do uh other projects. It's basically four guys, uh Jonah vocal and guitar, Sean Lopez guitar, John Gutenberger on bass, and Chris Robin on drums and percussion.
1: John Gutenberger from Police Academy? Yes,
0: exactly. Uh <laughs> sorry. My brother will like that. Sorry, he's a huge police academy fan. <laughs>
2: So we got a couple of comments over at our Patreon page. It's patreon.com forward slash dig me out. Gary Moran said one of my all time favorite albums. And then and uh,
1: Gary is the one that uh, suggested it in the listener suggestion poll.
0: Well, there you go. Uh, Someone else who likes this album just as much as I do then. (laughs) And then uh, Steven
2: Musinski said, first off, I love far and I'm really happy. They're getting their moment in the dig me out spotlight And furthermore, I'm just a huge Jonah Matranga fan. There's very little that he's done that hasn't resonated with me, and he's done a lot of stuff when it comes to FAR. I tend to prefer Water and Solutions from both a songwriting and production standpoint. Uh, Dave Sardi simply nailed it on that record, but Tin Cans is definitely solid, or should I say, a worthy album. And Brad Wood is no slouch either. To me, Tin Cans definitely sounds like a band still trying to find their sound and being influenced by their peers while still somehow being influential to others. I could be wrong, but I feel like some people tend to write far off as being nothing more than a Deftones rip, but in actuality, the two bands came up around the same time, in the same city, and may have even shared a practice space at some point in time. This band undoubtedly has its place among fellow post-whatever-you-want-to-call-it-90s rockers such as Helmet, Quicksand, Handsome, Jawbox, and the aforementioned Deftones, or maybe even Orange 9mm, a sound in a style that is very much in my wheelhouse. Very cu- curious to what, to see where this lands for Tim and Jay. Uh, should just mention real quickly. I, I think like we're recording this, you know, a, a week and a half before it actually airs. But Orange Nine Millimeter just put up an Instagram page as if something is happening with them, which has not happened in a while. So there might be new Orange Nine Millimeter music possibly happening.
0: Yeah, I saw that. I think I don't know if they're uh, just gonna redo the EP, the, their first EP that they did on Revelation. Because uh, I heard that that got taken down off of Spotify, so I don't know if they're gonna remaster it or whatever. But it's it's funny that. that so the first time I ever saw Far was a Sunday matinee show, and they were opening for Deftones and Orange Nine Millimeter. So wow, that's yeah. <laughs>
2: So let's get into it with uh, this band and, and talking about, you know, Stephen brought up the the Deftones thing. They're both from Sacramento. They both put out their first album in 1992. So it's hard to say, you know, if if they're a peer that they're an influence. I mean, I guess you can be influenced by a band that you're currently playing with. I tend to think of influences as bands that came before, but whatever. So let's get into uh, talking about this record first. I want to start with you, Chris. So you mentioned about seeing this band back in the day. Uh, did you pick up the record, what, like right when it came out, or was this something that you picked up later? And uh, what are the things that have stuck with you over time that you really liked about this album?
0: I must have gotten it right around when it came out. I don't. I mean, I don't think I got it the day it came out, but it's another one of those CDs that. Uh, I knew nothing about, I was just shopping and I picked it up and I thought, Hey, this looks pretty cool. I'm just going to buy this. And I had no, no idea what they sounded like. And so I got home and I remember thinking that, Hey, the, the music is, is pretty awesome because you know, I was like, what, 16 years old back then, like, man, this music is awesome, but it's something about the guy's voice. I don't know. I don't really, I don't know if it's cool or not. Uh, but I just kept listening to it and listening to it. And I, I eventually thought, oh, man, th- th- these these rocking songs are good, but I don't know about the slow ones. And then when I did get to see them live, it just all pretty much came together. And ever since then, I've just been completely in love with the band. And I'm so grateful that I saw them back then. And who knows? I'm, pro- I'm sure I would have found them through the Deftones, Because I was also big into Deftones back then, and they were, you know, Far and Deftones are always going to be linked because, you know, from the same scene, they were friends and they they played together on the Soon EP. They did the cover of Savory by Jawbox. And so they're always going to be linked, but there's just something different about Far that I'd never heard anything like it before. I mean, I think the closest band that I always think of is Sensefield. this was back before anybody really knew what emo was it didn't really wasn't really called that so right it was so hard to describe because when people my friends are like oh what's that far band sound like i'm like i don't know it's kind of rocking but it's melodic and it's not it's heavy but it's not really heavy i mean there wasn't any really words to describe it it just kind of fell in this this gray area that nobody had you know really coined a phrase or could figure out what to call it
2: Jay, were you familiar with Far before we did this episode?
1: No. I mean, I'm uh, familiar with some of the bands that were mentioned uh, a little bit, some more than others, but I had never heard of this band. I uh, never saw the album cover, was completely unaware.
2: So tell me one thing you liked.
1: Well, there's definitely some good guitar work on this record. I think there's some, um, you know, at at times you you hear a little bit of the Kim Thale kind of influence. Uh, So the track, like, Love, American Style, to me that's a very kim fail type riff where it has that weird um slightly off like time signature i don't know what's going on there it's like he chops off a beat and it just makes this really cool kind of feel to the riff um there's a lot of harmonics you know pull-offs and stuff like that there's some dynamics in terms of start and stops you know uh, big riffs chunky guitar i like the octave stuff so they'll do little like little melodic runs in the middle of a you know hit a chord and kind of do like a three um a three chord run and then come back so you, you see, so get a lot of this heaviness but with melody mixed in from a mm-hmm. guitar standpoint i also like you know they can get quiet and it works pretty well too musically um so uh sound like girl is was a little bit unexpected when you get to that part of the record but um i think they pull it off pretty well it actually is um kind of welcome at that point because the tone gets a lot cleaner uh you hear the bass more um aspects of the band come through um on the quieter music on the quieter material that you don't really appreciate uh on the on the heavier stuff I think, to me, the the shining uh, star of the record is the guitar player and just the guitar uh, approach overall. You know, it gets a little bit... uh, There's sections and styles of riffs that are very 90s, kind of alternating two-chord, you know, kind of things that are very stereotypical of, you know, Helmet or many of those bands. But they're just different enough, you know. They'll do something, you know. There'll be a really... um, cool riff in a chorus or a chord progression that's more ascending and it's a little less dark. Um, they do just enough of that to, I think, distinguish themselves musically.
2: Yeah. There is a musicality to their, to their playing. Like this is a, a, a above and beyond when I think of like some of the bands that were mentioned, like helmet, I don't think helmet ever got exceptionally complex. Um, Mm -hmm. not that this is, you know, progressive or anything like that. But there was a lot of like chugging along to drop D, you know, three chord riffs, and a more like piston like, uh, you know, rhythm. Whereas there's a bit more going on here. It's interesting that in the time frame that this was released, like I, I when I was doing some Googling, the term screamo came up, and that this was considered one of the first screamo albums and i hadn't really thought of it because i was just when i listened to the record i was just like oh this has you know a post-hardcore you know handsome quicksand sort of feel with a little bit of like the edginess of Jawbox." then also throwing in that like nobody called sunny day real estate emo when like diary came out it was just sort of like this like what chris said it was just like this weird heavy, loud, but melodic. But there would be, like, screaming on it. And this is where that band sort of fell for me. It was, like, this is sort of, like, the evolution of, you know, Diary and, and the second Sonny Real Estate album, where it's incorporating some of the heavier sounds of those, like, New York post-hardcore bands in in terms of Helmet and Quicksand and whatnot. But then also... You know, with this emo or you know pre-emo sort of vocal style, that it really creates sort of a unique blend that you don't. I I know it got copied a lot of what they were doing and what I don't think anybody calls the Deftones emo, even though they're not far off from that. But they just seemed just a little bit, I guess, heavier. I don't know. I don't know where the the line is drawn between why the Deftones wouldn't have an emo bent whereas this band would but there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in this record and just from a you know music standpoint you can just kind of put this record on and just listen to it all the way through and kind of let it just wash over you and it's it's heavy in a really interesting way that's not to me uh the repetition does not wear on you the way that some really heavy music does it just kind of like I, I kind of give up after like two or three songs because it's just so, you know, pounding on my head. So, yeah, that was sort of my, I, I think the overall presentation is what gets me with this record and why it works for me.
1: So, I'm looking at before we get into the what we didn't like, and I might bring this up on more episodes. So, right now, a lot of records uh, that were released that we covered, the only existence some of them have on the internet now is either to buy them from Amazon or, you know, music streaming source, or if you want to read a review, it's all music. Yep. So the all music rating for this record is one and a half stars. Yep. The user rating is uh, four and a half or three and a half. So I want to read the all music review. Okay. It's only a couple sentences. As a tuneless alt-hardcore alt, album interspersed with occasional spurts of potential, Tin Can's With Strings To You was a, a considerably wobbly debut. Frontman Jonas Sanz Martringa helped yelped like Billy Joe Armstrong. Okay, I don't... <laughs> we'll get into the vocals, but I don't know that I heard Billy Joe Armstrong. And sometime like <clears throat> sometimes like Concrete Blonde's Jeanette N- N- Napolitano backing the coal chamber styled bass steered songs cold chamber isn't that like a 2000s band yeah like songs into impulsive if cliched corner of sulky angst okay well i mean this band predates Cold chamber <laughs> lyrically the back uh lyrically the band tackled the usual subjects old testament frustration uh talk show culture and something about lemmings plastic irish lullabies so you know, it's clearly a you know pay a bunch of contractors to go write you know reviews as quickly as they can. And Somebody threw this on with no context and not really a whole lot of thought. So just want to point out that we we're offering quite an alternative to this music in terms of how we're discussing it and the time in the in the I guess the the context that we're bringing to it. Hopefully, yeah, that's a terrible review
0: the cold chamber thing i never even had read that uh the all music i'm very familiar with cold chamber and even would have made the connection between them
2: yeah i don't hear it either i mean i've listened to like probably 30 seconds of cold chamber that bass tone is like i mean it's just a you know heavy alt rock bass tone it's not anything specific to like new metal or anything like that it's it's not corn which is where you'd probably be going if you're talking about like cold chamber it's just a you know i I would hear that on a jawbox record it's not that far off from like what kim coletta played with jawbox so i i don't get that at all and that vocal comparison is just
1: bizarre it's just lazy it is let's just hope that when people uh google the bands that we review that we come up higher than than um you want to take down all music yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah. I mean, because this is how like this entire decade of music is being characterized, like three sentence reviews from knuckleheads who spent five minutes listening to the record. Anyway, let's talk about the vocal. So wh- where are you guys at? Um, you mentioned, Chris, that you were thrown off a little bit when you originally heard it, but it sounded like maybe you came around to it. Where are you at now um, with the vocal on this record?
0: I mean, I I love it. Yeah, Jonah has a very distinctive voice, and it's not something that you know. I've heard a Sense Field and like John Bunch's voice, very distinctive as well. They're probably two of my favorite voices, and I've I've listened to so much Far and you know Gratitude and New Under Original, all of Jonah's stuff over the years. And it's I, you know I just it, it, I think at the time I was just too young to understand someone singing about stuff like that, and especially when you put it to such heavy music. I, maybe I was too, yeah. But then when I finally did come around, I fell in love with it.
1: How about you, Tim?
2: I think he has a perfectly, a perfect voice for this sound in that his sort of yelling and screaming are able to elevate over the music and you can hear him. I don't think that they do as good a job as crafting hooks and memorable melodies as I would like. Um, I more remember when I was going back through the record multiple times, I would remember, you know, guitar riffs or drum fills or you know parts of songs, but I wasn't necessarily remembering or or keying in on what he was doing as a as you know as far as melodies go. They just I don't you know, Celebrate Her was one where it, it the vocal stood out for me. love american style they were just like where i i I remembered hearing the chorus or the you know the title of the song and it locked in for me the second and third time around whereas some of the other ones man i really liked the song but i would find myself three or four songs passing because one of the actual advantages of this record is that it's actually fairly tight uh there's only there's one seven minute long song And then two five-minute-long songs to end it. But most of this record is like three and a half to four minutes long. I mean, it's it's a pretty tightly constructed album. So, but the problem was that I would be like on track two, and then I look and I'd be like, oh wait, actually I'm on four. Like, when did that happen? Yeah. So that was the only uh, that was only weird part is that I was just not cluing in on the songs as well as I should.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm with you on celebrate her. Um, that's one of a couple songs where I started to feel like um, I was seeing their songwriting come, their songwriting in terms of how they're uh, maybe putting these these tunes together and and the different ways they're doing that. So to me, that felt more like a song that was being driven by the vocal, whereas a lot of the first half of the record and some of the heavier stuff sounds like him trying to fit a vocal over. You know a song that already existed, and I think my my take on it at the end of listening to everything is, and he's got a lot of different um, range in his voice. He can do a lot of different voices and a lot of different things, but he was seemingly not consistent or comfortable all the time, um, and not consistent in being able to like find his way to be able to get over the music. Um, Sometimes he would just sound like he was swallowed by it or just not fitting in um in fact it it made me like start to listen really closely to the mix and one of the things i was observing is it sounds like the guitars are scooped Uh, like they took frequencies high-end frequencies out of the guitars Hmm. so that that you know that snare drum on the record just pops like it is just screaming yeah and it sounds like they this is me just totally you know, guessing based on what I'm hearing with my ears. But if you imagine like a graphic EQ, you know, if you went over to the the ones on the far right and went over a band or two and pulled that down for the guitars, you would open space up for a vocal and you would open space up for a snare drum because that's where those frequencies live. Mm-hmm. And it almost sounds like when they engineered the record, they, they kind of did that in order for his voice to have a spot because otherwise, and even with doing that, it, it starts to get swallowed at times. So, you know, and when he screams, he gets, he gets over uh, it and it, it works in terms of just an overall balance. But when he sings, which he can do, it's inconsistent in that sometimes he's singing and it's like a little bit like weak sounding or kind of off key a little bit. And then there's other times when the music gets quieter and you hear him saying, you're like, okay, the dude can sing
2: mm-hmm. like,
1: you know, girl, you can hear that he can sing in that Um, celebrate her. You can hear, he can sing in that. Um, But there's something about it's it's not consistent. I kept getting thrown off by that. I was just trying to figure out like who he was as a singer and how it worked with the music and wasn't quite coming together for me all the time. Interesting.
2: I don't know. I, I like him as a vocalist, but some of your production insights have me thinking about what I was listening to now. And
1: it's, yeah, a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an odd mix. Like, I, I struggle with the sound of this record. Like, it's just a strange-sounding record.
2: You know, Stephen brought that up in the Patreon comments, that he thought that while the next record really showcased the band, both his songwriting and production, because of Dave Sardi, that this one wasn't quite all there with regards to, while it was still a, st- a very strong record, there were times where I felt like, I don't know if you've, you got this feeling, but like... The guitars, even though they're very heavy and like sort of, I don't know how to describe it, like wide in the stereo field, yeah. like they almost like kind of disappear yes. in comparison to the drums and bass. That's what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, they're like, it's almost soft. It, it's it's bizarre. It's their heavy band, so it sounds strange to say a heavy band is soft, but there's something about like there's there's a high end frequencies or something removed from the guitars where you would normally have that like that bite and that uh, over the top kind of aggressiveness
2: mm-hmm. it's
1: removed and it's replaced with this super loud snare drum and then his voice. And overall it just gives it this really strange sound where it's, it doesn't sound small. It just sounds, I don't know, maybe a little muffled or something. It's just, it's just a bizarre engineering uh, job.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Chrissy there. I'm not really. I'm not a musician, so I don't really uh, know, know what to listen for with so stuff you don't like
2: that. Become nerdy about the minutia of production <laughs> techniques. On <laughs> we understand, it's our burden to bear. Now that now that oh, we've been okay. into a recording studio and we know how the trickery goes down and how how the sausage is made, it now makes us very uh, sensitive to like weird things like production and. Jay's cool. talking about scooping frequencies and which scooping frequencies it's, will be the name of my next because, band.
0: Yeah. That's <laughs> no, funny because, so actually, uh, in 2001, middle Tennessee state first semester, cause I wanted to do the recording industry program. And while I was was up there, one of my projects was I had to interview somebody who was employed full time in the music industry. And so I was down in Atlanta. I came back home for spring break and I actually did an interview with I think Eric Stenman was the engineer on this album. I know he worked on it somehow, but it all it all kind of ties together where I was like I I was just starting the introduction to the program there where if I'd kept going I would have learned all this stuff about, you know, soundboards and all that stuff, but I I moved I ended up moving back home and coming back to school down here, so but I, I did get to have a long talk with uh, one of the guys that worked on this album.
1: But even even if you're not an audio geek like me, like you got to admit the snare drum on this record is pretty obnoxious. <laughs> like within a couple seconds of listening to it, it's like wow, there's 50 minutes of hearing this thing pop.
0: <laughs> I'm trying to remember. I was listening to a podcast lately about, about another <laughs> app. It was they were talking about piccolo snares, and so that's all I've been thinking about for the last couple
2: weeks <laughs> well apparently we got that wrong the last time we talked about piccolo snares because that's a particular like thing, and we we set it as a generic sound which it is in fact not so we, <laughs> we effed up
1: uh I think this this record is just incredibly loud like the snare is just really loud
2: yeah, and that affects Making the um, the snare that loud affects the other instruments. So like, like you're saying, it makes it um, just adds a weird uh, thing that, you know, having listened to so many records and scrutinized them, you start picking up on weird little...
1: Well, there, there's a reason why things. they hire people to mix the records, right? I mean, it matters, like, how all these things fit together. So right. um, if you got a snare drum that's, like, blaring above everything else, it becomes distracting and you can't, like, get into the song because... All you're focused on is this, you know, cracking snare drum sound. So, I, yeah, I mean, overall, that I struggle with that. I could definitely hear, though, um, or imagine, I'll say, that this band is probably way better live than they are on this record. Um, you can tell they're tight. You know, I, I bet the heaviness comes across way better live than it does on the record. The production issues are no longer an issue. Um, I would suspect maybe even his vocal performances are better live than they are on this record so uh, i w- i would I, I could see myself if I had seen this band live um having that play a big role in how I think about this record
0: i mean it's it's kind of funny because they were almost kind of forced to be very heavy uh back then when they played live because of who they were sent on tour with and I remember not really it was kind of it's when I saw them live, that's kind of when everything clicked. Um, they because it was kind of something where hey, you can jump around to it a little bit, but it's also hey, it's easy to sing along with it, and it's it's not just generic. It's not like a hardcore band where it's just generic vocals. It's something you can really sing along, and it it means something. Yeah, but you know they, I mean they were put on like back for this record. They were put on tour with like God Lives Underwater and Sepultura when they were on the Roots tour. I mean, just they didn't really fit in back then, which was you know, it's not really their fault. But who were they supposed to tour with? That's kind of why they toured with Deftones multiple times. It's like
1: they're supposed to tour with Coal Chamber. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. So Jay and I were
0: not
2: familiar with this record at all. I don't think that this made any sort of huge impact commercially, whereas the Deftones, you know, they did. And became a fairly successful band, White Pony is probably the album that broke them, but then um you know they continued that success on to the 2000s and have become sort of a you know a veteran band now they they've put out a record pretty fairly consistently every four or five years. I don't know if that's consistent, but they' they put out records so where is the line that is it simply because there's just no like s- solid single on this record? Um, or is it some of the issues that not issues, but you know, the, some of the quirks that Jay and I have brought up with regards to the production that maybe this isn't maybe a a radio album. Um,
0: it's, I mean, that's I, that's why I think they never broke is that they never they 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 were kind of stuck in between scenes. You know, Deftones gra- gravitated towards the new metal scene, and then they kind of rose above that by. Expanding on their sound, whereas far they weren't new metal, they weren't punk, they weren't hardcore. This was back before emo was really a thing. So who were they supposed to tour with? And then where were they going to get played on the radio? They just they never fit anywhere, unfortunately. And then you know probably a band that if they had stayed around a little bit longer, like they could have toured. Jimmy World got big. It's any any. They just—they didn't really have any peers, and they just kind of got lost in the shuffle, unfortunately.
2: So let's talk about the dreaded. Were the album better EP or decent single? Where are we at? Jay?
1: Well, I guess I'll touch on the the question you just brought up, which has me thinking, because I haven't spent a ton of time with the Deftones. Um, I might know a song. I couldn't tell you why that song was big. It doesn't seem to really, to me, hit any of the typical check boxes or whatnot that uh, you would think uh, a song that would break through would hit so i can't begin to tell you like the difference between why that was a hit and why would this band wouldn't be um i know for this record to me uh, the production is just not good enough to be uh, a radio song a radio band um, mm-hmm. but it sounds like uh the follow-up was better produced so i don't know that that would be a barrier I- i'm in an ep with this record um i got about five songs that that i think are pretty good Um, there's some bits of other songs that I think are, have moments of brilliance, but they don't pull together for the whole song. So something like joining the circus has this really cool melody thing at one, about a minute and 30 into it, where it's just like, it comes out of left field. It's just one of those moments of like, Whoa, where did that come from? That is so cool. Do more of that. And then it goes away. just doesn't quite come together enough on the rest of the record to be a worthy album. Um, We'd love to hear the vocal just uh, a little bit more focused and um, refined and in terms of what his approach is and what he's doing. And I, I'm, I'm with you in terms of just, I just need a little more hook here and there. Either the, I need one of two things, I guess I need more hook or I need more like progressive, interesting musicianship. Like, they're in this no man's land of not quite to the point of commercial viability in terms of having some kind of mulatto cook, but they're also not in that space of like um, say a quicksand or even like a jaw box where you've got this, these really cool time signatures and there's enough musicianship there that it kind of keeps you engaged at that level. Um, they're in this middle area that, uh, just doesn't work for me for, for all 12 songs. So I'm at an EP.
2: So it's weird. I'm at an album because I like just putting this on and listening to it. It's sort of like uh, background music when I was working. I like heavy music in this vein to just sort of nod my head to, you know, like H- Handsome and Quicksand and Jawbox and Hum would be another one. But unlike those bands, when I actually like want to, sort of geek out on a particular song or what have you. Like, I can find particular tracks that I get really invested in, and there's not really anything on this record that makes me go, that's, like, an amazing song. Like, I think it's really well done from, I guess, how they, you know, put it all together. But that aside, I don't feel like there's anything spectacular about it. So... From an overall standpoint, I give it it's a worthy album, but if I have to like get into the you know nitpicky minutia of it, it's probably more of an ep because I'd probably pick out like four songs that stood out for me I did like is it seasick I think yeah um that was a really cool song that yep
1: was, so that's where the record picks up for me too like it starts off a little slow and I think to me, the best materials right in the middle Yeah, tracks four through nine. It is, it's pretty solid.
2: So Chris, yeah, I, I'm going to guess this is a worthy album for you. You would not have suggested it. You would not bring us a flaming pile of poo for your 12 month (laughs) review, but has your appreciation or, or your likes and dislikes, um, altered over the years i know you mentioned about sort of figuring out the vocal but are there particular songs that maybe didn't work for you and now do or vice versa
0: the one thing that's always bothered me about this album is kind of the track sequence thing because it seems like the album is always broken up into parts like you have three heavy songs and then a slow song another heavy song another slow song and then I think three more heavy songs and then a slow song and then heavy and then slow to end the album. So it kind of, it starts and stops for me. It's always, the the sequencing has always struck me as something really odd on on this album. I mean, I'm not saying through all the slow songs at the end, but it it's something that, you know, when I first listened to it, when I got it, I would skip the slow songs. And then I remember when I saw them, they played uh, Joining the Circus and I think Job's Eyes. They're in this little seven song set where they were, and that's when the first time I ever really listened to those songs. I'm going to go back and listen to those. And so now I'll, I'll listen to them. But it just seems it's always just struck me as something kind of weird about the sound is the track sequencing.
2: That's interesting. I didn't it didn't uh, come up into my my purview when I was dissecting it. So to give that some more thought, Jay. Were you okay with the sequencing or do you, th- um, you or is that four through nine comment sort of cover that?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I guess that's, I didn't uh, necessarily think of it that way, but yeah, I mean, I literally have four, those four, song, uh, four or five songs highlighted and everything before and after it not. So to me, that says probably could have mixed those up at least uh, in terms of the stuff I liked. Um, so it was more on, off, on, off, um, there's something about that middle section where, to me, that's what the, where the band feels comfortable. Maybe that's me being comfortable with the band. I don't know, but uh, that material seems stronger to me.
2: Okay, well, we have arrived at our decisions. EP for Jay, a mixed album. EP oh, for me.
1: You're <laughs> waffling.
2: Well, it works on different levels for me. And Make it doesn't a call. Work on I'm I'm Did saying album or, album or EP. It's a mini album. No, it's a it's a double 10 inch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and of course, a worthy album for Chris. So, Chris, thank you once again for coming back and joining us on the show and, and bringing us an album worthy of discussion and supporting the podcast, of course, as yeah, you do.
0: You're welcome. Yeah. And, and, ever- and no, it's that yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, I I prefer this album. Uh, a lot of people kind of look at their follow-up, Water and Solutions. as kind of their watermark. Uh, it is, you know, it's a lot more, uh, it's it's a lot more glamorous, I guess you would say. But I prefer the rawness of this album, and so that's why, if I'm going to go back and listen to Far, I, I usually pull this album out as opposed to the Water and Solutions. But yes, you know, people should check out both, you know, both of the albums, and then even the reunion album they did back in a few years. ago. just I just I love I love this band and they've always been this band that i wanted to share with people, but they never really. When people ask, like, "Hey, what do they sound like?" they're really hard to describe. So,
1: and uh, this record got some, some good feedback on uh, on Facebook when we posted it. It's been posted a couple times now, so yep, I was surprised. There's quite a few folks that uh, took time to make comments and really give it glowing uh, reviews.
2: And people should stick around or has to get around, but uh should join us over at Patreon, uh, not only for the bonus content that we're about to produce, hint, hint, but also for all our other stuff, like voting in the polls that Jay mentioned, and previews to upcoming episodes that you can comment on and then be included in the show, and then our quarterly contests in which we give away things. Please uh, join us over there. It's only a buck a month for the basic level. And then also... If you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. Thanks again to uh, Chris for joining us. And for Jay, I'm Tim. And we're out. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out.
1: Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash Out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com.